For many Americans in southern coastal areas, summertime means beach time. Millions flock like seagulls every year to the coast to soak in some rays, play in the water, or relax in the warm sand. But getting access to the beach was not always easy for everyone. In Jim Crow South, black Americans were faced with significant beach-related challenges. African-American history professor Andrew Carl explains the situation. Anytime you see a city or town in the coastal South investing in their beachfront, or you see a lot of commercial development happening along their beachfront, Invariably, you're going to see efforts to segregate those spaces and exclude African-Americans from using it. The outright bans of black Americans on white-only sands led to the creation of coastal safe spaces, otherwise known as black beaches. They are often identified in a series of books known as the Green Books, written by Victor Hugo Green. Dr. Noel Trent, the Director of Interpretation, Collections, and Education at the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis, details the contents and the significance of these books. People in general, you know, when you travel somewhere, you tend to get advice from, you know, folks about where to stay, where to go, that sort of thing. This becomes a very formulaic method of advising Black travelers of these are the businesses, these are places that are safe for you to go as you're traveling, particularly if you're venturing to an area that you're unfamiliar. They become especially helpful when navigating the difficulties and dangers of traveling while Black in the South. Issues concerning legality and respect were common worries during Jim Crow. But Dr. Trent says there were also cultural issues that the Green Books worked around. Like, you want to know, if you're driving through this town in Illinois, is it friendly? Is this a place that you should feel comfortable stopping at? Or is this one of these places where you want to kind of keep going or you want to push through till you can get to a place that's a safe haven. Dr. Trent says they also broadly speak to the Black American experience. We tend to think about the Black experience in America as being uh, oppressed and degraded, and in many respects they were, but we forget that people thrive, people choose joy, people enjoy recreational activities. And so this is what what the Green Books demonstrates. The last official Green Book was published in 1966, but the legacy of the places that were in those books lives on through historical markers and the memories of those who went there. In Florida, a popular Green Book destination was American Beach on Amelia Island. Ronald Miller, the founder of Coast One Tours, spent a lot of his childhood there. In addition to leading tours about the history, he fought for a historical marker for the beach. Everybody had a marker, exactly the place where slaves got off a boat. We didn't have one. So myself, this lady, Ann Chen, and the lady that wrote the book, American Beach for African Americans, we had a meeting with the Jacksonville Jaguars football team, and they sponsored us a marker. So that marker is very significant. I, I do enjoy talking about it. It is such an ugly history, and yet aspects of it provide joy to some Black Americans who felt that these spaces presented in the Green Books provided a sense of comfort and peace away from the Jim Crow world. Like in so many other southern states during the Jim Crow era, Florida's white-only beaches limited Black Americans' access to coastal areas. It's why some Black beaches in the state were incredibly popular. One beach was Manhattan Beach in Duval County, where current-day Catherine Abbey Hannah Park is located. Manhattan was a safe space for the community to collectively enjoy the beach without worry from white guests. Adjunct history professor at the University of North Florida, Brittany Cohill, says Manhattan's creation in the year 1900 was a milestone for black Americans across the South. 
As far as the historical record shows at this moment in time, it appears as though Manhattan Beach is the first black beach resort in the southeastern United States. Although its existence lasted nearly four decades, Cohill explains it had its issues when compared to the white coastal areas like Jacksonville Beach. There wasn't as much funding and there wasn't as much infrastructure there, too. So Manhattan Beach was more susceptible to major storms that would come through, beach erosion. And so sometimes these structures were endangered by nature and and some of them would wash out into the ocean and have to be rebuilt and things of that nature. Whereas in Jacksonville Beach, you know, there was greater infrastructure, more funding, more revenue. But for what it was, it provided a multi-purpose safe space for black Americans to enjoy. Although the beach was mainly used for recreational purposes, it was also used for medicinal purposes. Coordinator of Special Collections at the Thomas G. Carpenter Library, Jennifer Bibb, explains how known philanthropist Eartha M.M. White used the beach medicinally. She had a fresh air camp that she would take children who were ill, take them to stay out there for like a month or a few weeks. Manhattan Beach closed in the 1930s, around the time when another black beach in the Jacksonville area opened up to the public in 1935. American Beach was like, it was just people. One time it was the only black beach on the East Coast, on the Southeast Coast, and people came from everywhere here. It was just a big party every weekend. That's Ronald Miller, the founder and tour guide of Coast One Tours, who spent his childhood playing in American sand dunes. The beach area was originally purchased by one of Florida's first black millionaires, A.L. Lewis, who used the money from his group, the Afro-American Life Insurance Company. At its peak, the beach was over 216 acres, and its nightclubs, hotels, and restaurants hosted numerous black celebrities over the years. It was a nightclub called Evans Rendezvous, and that's where everybody gathered. The adults gathered at Evans. The kids, we had had our own little game room called El Patio, and... Basically, the only time we went in Evans was to get money to either buy ice cream or go to the game room. He says his favorite memories come from the car races on the beach. At low tide, they would they, guys came from all over the southeast and they had these little souped up cars and it was fun to me. And one of the guys who was a driver was my neighbor from right down the street. And uh, he'd start on Thursday night putting some pieces together and then Saturday morning he'd have, about have it all together and they'd go out and race. He, he won almost all the time. He says while there, everyone cared for each other. It was a village. Everybody was everybody's parents. Everybody was everybody's child. It was just a great place to grow up. It was a great place to be. Nowadays, the beaches look a lot different and are a lot quieter. But at their peaks, Manhattan and American beaches provided the black community with a coastal safe space at a time where safety for black Americans was sparsely guaranteed. African-American history professor Andrew Carl dedicates his research to better understanding the full narrative of black leisure and tourism areas. He says desegregation was not the main cause of the loss of black beaches like one might think. Rather, it was a new culture and economic system in the South. The civil rights movement was, as a whole was great for the Southern economy in making places that were once seen as particularly hostile, violent spaces seem more hospitable. He says many beaches disappeared due to heightened interest in the land from wealthy developers who took advantage of newly opened southern coastal areas. You begin to see land values, especially in coastal areas like Florida and South Carolina. These are areas where African-Americans had owned significant amounts of, of coastal property, lands that they had acquired in the early 20th century or in the late 19th century. Suddenly, these places are being eyed by real estate developers 
developers who are seeking to turn them into gated communities, resorts, hotels, golf courses, all the things that can really tap into and capture some of the growing demand for leisure and tourism in the South. He says preserving history and bringing awareness of black beaches is key for two reasons. Gaining a better sense of how recreation and leisure was an important element in the Black freedom struggle in the 20th century and still today, but also as well in ensuring that places that had really played such a vital role in helping to shape Black culture and community life over the course of the 20th century can continue to do so to this day. The University of North Florida's Thomas G. Carpenter Library's Eartha M.M. White Collection preserves several photos of one of the first Black beaches in America, Manhattan Beach in the Jacksonville area. The library's head of special collections and university archives, Susan Swito, says photos are like a goldmine for historical preservationists. You see the cars and you see what people are wearing and you see that they parked right on the beach. And all of that is just a snapshot in time that people who live now can't imagine driving in an old Model T car or wearing dresses down to their ankles at the beach. In many photos captured at black beaches and other leisure areas, one can see black joy. This is a specific term coined by members of the black community that aims to remind people there's more to the black experience than sorrow. National Civil Rights Museum Director of Interpretation, Collections, and Education, Dr. Noelle Trent, explains more. Black joy means to me celebrating who I am, who my community is, what my culture is, to the fullest extent, without restraint, without explanation, just the ability to be. But Dr. Trent notes that we shouldn't look at history with either a positive or a negative lens, but rather look at it with a fuller perspective. How do we learn more of a complete Black story? How does that happen? Because you can't have the joy without the sorrow, right? You can't have the sunshine without the rain. Like they exist in conjunction with each other, and you can't appreciate one without the other. The sorrow of the Jim Crow era existed, but the joy of those who visited black beaches also existed. And it's important to preserve and remember both the rain and the sunshine. Christina Buglisi, WUFT News.